Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Taking Stock. I'm Kathleen Hayes, along with PM Fox. It looks like just about anything and everything can be hacked this in this day and age, but... Uh, what about the coming presidential election? Is the proper cybersecurity infrastructure in place? And, oh, boy, how about maybe updating some outdated voting machines? A special guest, look at that, Pim. Yes, we'll be speaking with David Carradine about cybersecurity and the upcoming election. Right now, though, let's go to Catherine Cowdery in the Bloomberg Newsroom for Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you, Pim. Well, there could be more records on Wall Street today. Stocks are advancing as traders push back bets on higher interest rates amid uneven economic growth in the U.S. A report today showed home builder confidence is up. Bloomberg's Vinny Del Judice has the details. Steady job growth and low interest rates are boosting prospects for the housing market. The home builder confidence index rose to 60 this month from July's reading of 58. Readings above 50 suggest the market is good. The report is sponsored by the National Association of Home Builders and Wells Fargo. Looking ahead, Tuesday, the Commerce Department issues data on actual starts of new construction in July. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice, Bloomberg Radio. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg Radio. Dow Industrial Average is up 71 points, four-tenths of a percent at 18,647. S&P 500 up seven points, a third of a percent trading at 2,191. The Nasdaq is up 31 points, six-tenths of a percent at 52.63. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil up $1.33 a barrel. That's a gain of 3% trading at 45.82. Spot Gold up $2 an ounce at 13.45.20. And the 10-year Treasury is down 11 30 seconds with yield of 1.55%. Among today's top business stories, some U.S. endowments and foundations are souring on hedge funds. Hedge fund fees and lagging performance are cause for concern for nonprofit investors who are reducing their allocation. That's according to a survey published by NEPC, a Boston-based consulting firm with 118 endowment and foundation clients. The private equity firm TPG has agreed to buy two small cable providers, RCN Telecom Service and Grand Communications Networks. And now let's get an update of some of the other stories we're following today. Thank you, Catherine. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Jill Schneider. This news update is brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump is in Youngstown, Ohio, where he's delivering a speech on foreign policy. Trump talked about the growth of Islamic State. In 2014, ISIS was operating. In seven nations. They were in seven nations. Terrible, but that's what it was. Today, they're fully operational in 18 countries with aspiring branches in six more for a total of 24, and many believe that number is actually 28 to 30 countries. Vice President Joe Biden campaigned alongside Hillary Clinton today in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He said Donald Trump can't relate to middle-class Americans. This guy doesn't care about the middle class. And I don't even blame him in a sense because he doesn't understand it. He doesn't have a clue. No, he really, I mean, he really doesn't. He doesn't have a clue. 
Biden said Trump is, quote, totally unprepared to lead the country. Volunteers with boats are part of the rescue effort in badly flooded parts of Louisiana. State officials say about 20,000 people have had to be rescued and 10,000 are staying at shelters. The flooding has killed at least six people. Friends and family said goodbye today to a New York City woman who was found dead after going for a run near her mother's Massachusetts home. Vanessa Marcotte was 27 and worked for Google. No arrests have been made. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Jill Schneider, and this is Bloomberg. Catherine? Thank you. And now let's get a quick check of the markets. Dow Industrial Average up 70 points at 18,646. S&P 500 up 7 points at 2,191. The Nasdaq up 30 points at 52,63. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Over the weekend, congressional Democrats, they scrambled to figure out the scope of an unprecedented leak that revealed the personal cell phone numbers and email addresses of nearly 200 current and former Democrats in the House of Representatives. The posting of an online spreadsheet contained this personal information with lawmakers as well as senior staffers. Is this something that could affect the election? And indeed, could the election itself be hacked? We turn now to David Garrity. He is a principal at GVA Research, a columnist at Investopedia, and he can be followed on Twitter at GVA Research. David, thanks for being here. Uh, Thanks for making me stumble on Investopedia. Um, Tell us about hacking and We've learned about this revelation of cell phone numbers and email addresses from Democrats in the House. Is it possible that that could also mean that the computer and the tallying system for our national election could be hacked? Well, Pim, to sort of address the issues, um, if we go back to the 2000 election, we remember hanging chads down in the state of Florida. We were basically reminded of the fact that uh, the election in 2000 was decided by the Supreme Court voting in favor of George W. Bush. Now, Congress in 2002 passed an act uh, called the Help America Vote Act, and this made available about $4 billion worth of funding, which was used to go out and purchase voting machines. Um, these were put in place, but there hasn't been much investment made in terms of the infrastructure, if you will, of the vote casting system since. So we're operating in a situation right now where in 2016, we have 43 three states that are using electronic voting machines that are at least 10 years old. And out of those number, 14 of those states have voting machines that are 15 years or older. Now, bear in mind that most of these voting machines rely upon a Microsoft Windows operating system, except the operating system that they're using is most likely Windows XP, which Microsoft stopped supporting back in April of 2014 which from a practical standpoint means that there have been no security updates, no patches, no support for these systems since April of 2014, which raises the question that if there were an interest, someone could probably find a way to degrade the operating performance of those machines, not so much as to change the votes, but most likely to impede the ability of voters to actually cast their ballots through an electronic machine, which is why you're seeing people say, look, we need to ensure for this presidential election coming up in November that there's a sufficient supply of paper ballots available. 
So enter hacking. I get that the voting machines are obsolescent, not moded. I love the fact you point out that they're, you know, they're running on an old, outdated Microsoft system. But, you know, this is this is the state of the world. You know, and we forget sometimes how far behind a lot of things are. How could we be hacked? Someone just goes in and changes the votes from Clinton to Trump or Trump to Clinton? There have been experiments that have been done, you know, by the government in terms of there's the Argonne Lab, which is part of the system of nationwide labs. We have Lawrence Livermore, Sandia, or others, where they've actually run experiments or tests as a sort of a weekend experiment. And they've been able to hack into voting machines and actually change votes. Now, the point I'm raising here isn't so much the fact that votes are changed, but the fact that you degrade the system. If people look at past elections and people look at questions of voter disenfranchisement, uh, people have raised concerns about voter ID laws. But most of these older machines are in districts that are less well off, that can't afford to, won't spend the money to upgrade the infrastructure. And clearly where there has been voter disenfranchisement in the past, it's been in terms of lower socioeconomic classes or districts. So if there were efforts to not only impede turnout, but to impede the performance of those people who do turn out to vote, obviously finding a way to degrade the performance of the voting machines would be one way to do that. For $82, I understand that you can buy a Sequoia AVC Advantage machine. It's one of the oldest machines still in use. Voting machines such as these are in use in places like Louisiana, Virginia, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. took a uh, Princeton, a computer science professor, about five minutes to hack into the machine. Right. Now, the challenge that we have here in the United States is that we've got about, you know, 9,000 different districts that have control either on a local level or a state level with respect to supporting uh, voting machines. Now, there, there, there are, there's not a standard of machines that are being used. So arguably from a hacking standpoint, the fact that you've got this heterogeneous infrastructure maybe to some extent serves to impede any efforts to hack. But the point can be made here and is made here that this is something we should be concerned about from the standpoint we look at a voting process. It should be transparent. It should have high integrity. And it should be one which in the current environment is not capable of being rigged. Ten seconds. Donald Trump has famously said, I'll look out, the election could be rigged. Does Dave Garrity agree that at least in terms of cybersecurity it could? I think that this argues very much for using paper ballots in the upcoming election. All right, Dave Garrity, you can find the terrific essay he wrote a couple of weeks ago on Investopedia. Dave Garrity is principal at GVA Research, joining us today in our New York studio. Thanks so much for coming in, Dave. I'm Kathleen Hayes, along with Pim Fox. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio. We're going to be looking at the stock market and where it goes next. This is Bloomberg. Coming up on Taking Stock, Jonathan Golub, Chief U.S. Market Strategist for RBC Capital Markets. He's got a call of a target on the S&P at 2,225. 